welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I am glad to be back, I'll be back from a time of vacation and rest with my family. We didn't get to travel much, of course, because of everything going on, but just uh, relaxing and spending time with them, spending individual time with the kids, and uh, reconnecting with some family, uh, things like that, and just sleeping a lot. I, I got a lot of sleep, and so I thank God for sleep. Bike, uh, rode my bike a lot, did a lot of push-ups and all that type of good stuff, so it was a good little time. And so uh, thank you for bearing with that time as we were out. Um, we are st- um, starting a new series today, um, and we're starting this new series. It's going to be a four-week series, and it's going to be called Cancel Culture, Cancel um, Culture. Um, you know, one of the things I want us to do before we dive into this uh, series is I want, I want us to get into scriptures. I want to lay some things out in this series to really help us as believers to begin to learn what our mind and thought and actions should be like today in relation to everything that is going on beyond the, the medical and uh, physiological pandemic that's going on to the challenges that's going on in our world. Let's turn to um, second, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through, uh, I'll probably stop at the 23rd verse. Um, yeah. I think I'll stop there. It reads like this. It says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now, I do this, do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Um, Again, I would like to talk about today uh, in our first uh, segment of our series through cancel culture, I'd like to talk about redeeming culture, redeeming culture. Say redeeming culture. I know y'all can say that out there. Amen. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for what it means to be a believer and what you said, preach the word in season and out of season. You called us to faithfulness no matter what we're going through and no matter what's going on. So, Lord God, I pray that you would give fresh oil and strength during this time as we pursue, think through, work through, and be ministered to by the glory of your word, by the power of your spirit, and the grace and mercy of the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. Men, amen, redeeming culture in our cancel culture series. When you hear in society, when they talk about cancel culture, 
The whole idea of cancel culture comes from the idea of someone in a powerful position, um, basically uh, by those in the lower position, begin to withdraw whatever type of support and call for whatever type of support that that person has said based on something that they've said that isn't really politically correct, morally correct, uh, uh, correct, socially cor- correct, economically correct. I mean, cancer, you, 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 you know some people, like, like in the black community, if you understand, when you sell out black folk as a black person, and when we call about, talk about selling out, it, 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 it means playing uh, to, 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 to whiteness and forgetting about your skin color. In, in, in black culture, it's a thing. First, you can lose your black card. Yes, you can lose your black card, even though you still need gratified. You, you can lose your black card. Um, I, I'm not even going to go into I'm not going to name any names. But there have been people out there that have done some selling out, if you will, in the minds of black people. And in the minds of black folk, they they like, all right, I will never ever support your music or your movies or what are your, I'm unfollowing you on social media. In other words, since you want to identify in, in black people's mind with the oppressor as, as much as you are or sell us out for a resource of money, uh, uh, we, we done with you. I mean, you know, when Trump first became president, people, you know, if you, if you, if you went and talked to Trump, Black people just shut you down. Even if you were trying to make peace to help black folks, it didn't care what it was, you, you were canceled. So that's the idea of cancel culture. Sometimes it's, it's the, it's, it's, it, it can be the way that those who are not in prestigious positions can utilize the power of numbers, even though they don't have the social or economic power, to be able to cancel that particular culture. And I think uh, we as believers, I think, um, we have to be careful as believers of canceling things in culture that we need to contextualize. This, 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 you, you get, you, uh, we're going to walk through this in a second. Because I think in Christian culture and in conservative Christian culture, there has been a fight for certain things that culture says uh, 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 the church has been saying, well, we want to cancel that because it sends the wrong message because of what that particular hashtag or that particular organization or that particular person represents. Let's cancel them. But guess what we're going to I'm going to, uh, uh, during this series, say we're not going to cancel. Listen, we're not going to cancel culture in that way. We're going to cancel the idea that there isn't things in this world that's redeemable for common ground for the gospel. One of those things that everybody wants to <coughs> cancel is that we, we, we well, I'll get into in, in a second, but this is the layout of the series. I want, I want to give you the series layout. I'll talk to you in a bit about some of the things that people want to cancel in culture that I think um, is helpful for us to use as redemptive prowess for common ground in order to have common language for the gospel. Now, number one, the first, uh, we're going to be talking about today, redeeming culture next week. We're going to be talking about Black Lives Matter. Should Christians be using that as a term? Should Christians use that as a term? A week after that, we're going to talk about no justice, no peace. Should Christians protest? And if they do protest, should they be using that mantra? Is that a redeemable statement based on the Scriptures? And next, and some of this may, some of, some of you may not realize this next one, how big it is, right? How big it is, but but, but, and I'm going to break it down when we get to it. It's CRT or critical race theory and Marxism, 
versus biblical justice. Really, it's a sermon on biblical justice. I have to use those terminology because it's big on the internet and there are big Christian fights out there about this. And I think my, my, my point is this. I think Christians don't realize that, and what I'm talking about is Western Christianity, don't realize how hypocritical some of our cultural canceling is, which I'm going to bring out over to say, because we, we only cancel culture that has to do with uh, black folk getting justice. We don't cancel other aspects of culture that we don't see as incongruent with Christianity that we say makes things unclear. They say Black Lives Matter because the organization is Marxist. Um, it makes, we're going to talk about that next week. And I'm going to break down how that's a redeemable ideology because we need to work through biblically what's worth utilizing even with its baggage in order to, even though it may not make sense to Christians, it'll make sense to non-Christians. That's what I want to talk about because the question is, is your life just about pleasing other Christians or is your life about glorifying God and reaching people? I want to ask you that. That doesn't mean compromising the gospel, but most of the confusion is about what other Christians perceive based on the bag that you can get for being perceived from being from a certain Christian camp versus being about the truth of moving the mission of God forward. And so um, 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 as we look at this today and we look at this reality, I'm coming and I'm making my way. Please work with me. This is my first Sunday back. Uh, um, um, and so um, I was, I, I, you know, I don't know if you, and some of y'all are young for me and I don't even know what I'm about to talk about. There was a company called Sears and Roebuck. That was its original name, Sears, if you will. I mean, Sears is... You know, um, you know, when I was growing up, you know, was from my mom and them, they used to have the catalog, you know, the Sears catalog, you order stuff, and that was like their internet service back then, the catalog. For the, it was mainly for the rural people. Then they went from there to having their own stores, right? They, they made their own retail locations. And as time got along and went along, um, they built the Sears Tower, <laughs> they made an auto section. They, they, they got into appliances. You know, they, they, I mean, they had the, uh, the old folk going to laugh at this part. The, uh, Sears had the best return policy in the history of return. No matter, if you could wear some shoes for a year and return them, they had to take them back. Sears, it's, it was, I mean, I lied to you not. Had family members that literally wore stuff, took it right back to Sears. Sears would take it back. <laughs> so Sears was the number one retailer for years because it understood its constituency and it was committed to making sure that they served that constituency. But the bigger they got and more popular they got, they began to invest in things that decentralized them from their core mission. And when they got decentralized from their core mission, guess what started happening all over the country? Sears started closing. If you notice, there are no more physical locations of Sears. Why? Because Sears lost its core mission to its, co uh, uh, to its current constituency, and because it lost its commitment to its core constituency, over time, it didn't adjust to what culture needed in order to get its product from them. The church has been functioning the same way. <clears throat> the church, we, we have to be, now the church will never go out of business because the Bible says, uh, uh, the, um, uh, 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 upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That'll never happen. The challenge though is there are some churches through this pandemic and through what we're going on, you're going to go out of spiritual business. And the reason why you're going to go out of spiritual business is because you're not adjusting to anything going on. You want the culture to adjust to you. Now, there's a difference with not walking in the uncompromising commitment to the word. I'm going to break that down when we get in this text. 
But we have to, we don't change the gift of the gospel. We change the wrapping that the gospel is in when we go to engage a particular context, to engage a particular people group, to engage a particular, a particular geography so that we can maximize letting people know that the gospel is relevant to where they live and dwell. So if we're going to redeem culture, if we're going to redeem culture, family, I got one point and one point only. One point and one point only. You and me, we must learn to be wise missionaries to the world. We must learn. Somebody say learn. We must learn to be wise missionaries to the world. Now, before I dive into this, I want to give you a theological breath of missions because some of y'all say, why? I, I'm, I ain't trying to go overseas. I'm, and plus, it's a pandemic. You know I ain't going nowhere. Well, if you understand the Bible, every believer is a missionary. In your home, in your house, you're a missionary. In your neighbor, you're a missionary. Our missionary efforts first started off with God in Genesis 3. God came to, went after Adam. Adam didn't come after God. God pursued him. No matter who you are, family of God, God pursued you in your sin. That somebody should have shouted already. You should have got, got your shouting shoes on. That, that Adam didn't start looking for God when he sinned. God started looking for Adam. The glory of the gospel is, is grace and mercy coming after fallenness. Fallenness never draws near to greatness and the glory of God. So God initiates what it means to be a missionary. Jesus Christ, the second person in the Godhead, <laughs> becomes incarnate, John chapter 1, and he's sent by the Father as an incarnate missionary. We'll talk about that later. And then from there, the, Jesus Christ, when he goes to heaven, he already said in John 14 through 17 in the upper room discourse that he was going to send another like himself, and the Holy Spirit is a missionary. How's the Holy Spirit a missionary? Because no matter what you say to somebody about the gospel, it's up to the Holy Spirit's power to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that they can hear and understand and see and respond to the gospel. So, they, the, the, so, so the Godhead work as a missionary there. Therefore, if the Godhead works as a missionary, guess who else has to work as a missionary? You and I. And so we look at verse 19. This is crazy. Verse 19, interesting verse. And we must take this verse in stride. It's very relevant, I believe, to what we need to be thinking through. It says, although I am free from all, talking about men, not God, says, I'm free from all and not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. This is amazing, okay? <clears throat> Paul is giving you his missiological mission statement. He's giving you, I want to reach people mission statement. Now, what I like about this <laughs> is he, he, he gives you and begins the statement with a caveat to let you know that he isn't playing, he doesn't have scruples. In other words, in him saying, although I am free, when he's saying he's free, he's no longer under obligation and ownership of the devil or human beings. Therefore, his commitment to people is not based on people's preferential desire for him to be a particular way, or to have control over him, but he's like, I'm free. I don't know if you've ever been free from something that you was locked down to, and you, and, and you was out of it. You're like, I'm free. Like when school was out, we would run out of school. At, at, in June, 
When, but back in the day when school was out, we just felt like when all our obligations were done, whether you failed or passed, you were just glad it was over, right? Uh-uh, you're just glad it was over. Um, <clears throat> free. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm free from obligation, right, when it comes to human beings. Uh, um, th- th- in other words, no one is molesting um, my missionary efforts so that I can please them. So, 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 so he says, I'm free. He says, I'm no longer anyone's slave. I'm no longer, well, not anyone's slave rather than no longer. Slave points to the fact of you being subservient to men's desires. So Paul's point here is that he isn't driven by self-interest of others. No one is controlling him and he isn't driven to please man or cultural assimilation. And that's what's very, very important for us as believers. We have to be careful of trying to please people. There's a difference, we'll see in a second, of reaching people and trying to please people. Uh, um, Because you must know that the gospel must offend for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. The gospel should offend for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. So we must recognize this idea of Paul and what he did. And even, listen, even in him using this term, doulos, or slave here, he's borrowing from a language within culture <laughs> to talk to the Corinthians in a way that they can understand what he's talking about. Now, he said, I, but, but then in the second part of the verse, after he says, I'm, I'm free from everybody, I'm not a slave to anyone, he goes down and he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Wow. 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 I like that. Paul says, I have voluntarily rigged my life so that if there's anything that I'm personally free to do because I'm not bound to them, I'm willing to voluntarily bind myself to them to make sure that, listen, I don't put any obstacles, this is amazing, any obstacles in anyone's way when I am engaging them with the gospel. Some of you, know, let me see if I can make it real, real plain. Uh, Some of y'all Christians, um, I'm going to use a sin illustration, and I'm going to use a freedom illustration. Now, some of y'all still be cussing. Y'all be cussing. I say, I, I split the verb. Some of y'all are cussers. Some of y'all are light cussers. Some of y'all are medium cussers. And some of y'all are, woo. Y'all have a cussing ministry. <laughs> you, you, you are gifted at the wordplay of curse words. You understand what I'm saying? Um, we, we have to make ourselves a slave to people, even when it comes to our sin issues, to not act like we got to just blurt out being foolish in order to be relevant and engage people. Next one is, <coughs> what in my life that is a freedom for me to do can I withdraw from not using because it may put a stumbling block in front of the person's view of Christianity. Now, th- now th- th- this, is, this is a tricky one because, because some, some, some stuff, 
I, I can't pull back from as a Christian because it's about life. And I'll, I'll explain in a second. But some of us, you know, I know there's a, there's a drinking culture, you know, that goes on, you know. And say you're trying to minister to somebody with the gospel, and you, you know, and you, you know, you want you some bourbon. Oh, y'all laughing now, ain't y'all? You want you some, you want you, you want to, you want to go to fine wine and spirits, amen, after church in your church clothes. Now, if you got a big hat on and you go into the, to the fine wine and spirits with the, you know, or you got a, a you know, the zoot suit joint the Castile be wearing, um, that's a, that's a whole nother sermon, um, and you go in there with a suit on, people going to be like, oh, that joker, where's the church? And you're going to try to get to the counter and share the gospel with the registrant. I don't know how well that's going to go when, when you got Boone's Farm in your hand. You understand what I'm saying? Mad Dog 2020. You know, Grey Goose Vodka. You understand what I'm saying? You, you know, you got Ciroc. You know, you've been there going, Yakalism. You know, Henny. You know, blame it on Henny. You know, I'm, not, I'm just trying to be honest. You know, and I'm not squelching your freedom, but you, the Paul says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, I live in such a way that no one will find fault with my ministry. That's one of the best statements on the planet. Paul says, I live in such a way that no one will find fault with my ministry. In other words, I, I, I have these freedoms that I can indulge in within reason, but there are times where I need to restrict my freedom for the greater good of the gospel. And so, and so what you have to do is slave Meaning that you make your, you're, you're, you're really not a slave to the person you'll see in a second. Then really he said, I'm a slave to the gospel. <laughs> That's really what he's saying, right? <laughs> and, and so, and so I, I want to give you a new term. Somebody say contextualization. contextualization. This is very important. I, I hope y'all still trekking with me <laughs> because we have to make sure that we as the church are ready for a new frontier, a constantly new frontier of ministry. And this word is something that we'll break down into bite-sized pieces so that all of us can kind of gather and understand it. But contextualization, and I know they'll put it up on the screen for you. They'll have my notes, and they'll put some of this stuff up on the screen for you to see. It's, it means to show with clarity the truth of God's word to people in their cultural language in both word and deed. Let me say that again. To show with clarity... The truth of God's word to people in their cultural language in both word and deed. Another way of, of putting it, I want to give you several. Relating a foreign principle, thought, or idea in a way that is familiar to a group in a cross-cultural context. What am I saying? In other words, if somebody, if you don't speak French... And someone comes up there starting to speak French to you, uh, you're going to be confused, okay? You understand know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, um, if you go into a context where they don't eat pork, but they eat halal meat, you're not going to go in there with a rack of ribs trying to reach them. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to go there and you're going to be around them and eat things or relate in that culture in a way that doesn't bring any unnecessary offense to them in order that you can touch them. This, this, this is what contextualization is about. It's using, utilizing common things to get common ground and communicate with people. That's, that's, that's contextualization. And so we, 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 I'll break this down even more. 
Now, this is the gargantuan definition for my theologues who like deeper definitions that kind of give the, the more of a rounded semantic sphere for what we're talking about, right? So here's the biggie. Here's the biggie. To transmit the gospel faithfully into a particular cultural group or cultures. Let me say that again. <clears throat> to transmit the gospel faithfully into a particular cultural group or cultures, listen, in such a way, this is so dope, in such a way that it says faithfully, without compromise, what God has conveyed and is clearly understood by the recipient in their language. That's it. That's contextualization. In other words, you're not dumbing down the word, but you're actually working hard to make sure the potency of what God is saying here is being communicated to the people in their language in the same level of intensity that it would have been received by the original reader or even you in your own language. That's what we're supposed to be doing nowadays. This is so important today for so many reasons. That's why we've done stuff like the basketball league because basketball is big in Philly. That's why we did the Diamond Festival, because we wanted to not only do a block party, we wanted to do a block party on steroids to get common ground with lost people, to communicate the love of Christ, to communicate the mercy of Christ, and have different things within the framework of the Diamond Festival that showed our love that earned the right for us to be able to share the gospel with people, right? And so um, for us, (coughs) there are times, though, when culture will sometimes make it easier for us to be able to even talk to them and share with them. And that's what I want to get to today. I want to get to, because I think we need to theologically define when we're talking about social justice and racial justice and what's going on now, how do we do a good job of not having to reinvent the wheel but use the spokes that they have in order to put a new center on it? Oh, that was good. In other words, what we should be doing as believers is we should be looking for the meta-narrative. Y'all need to hear me. God's narrative, God, God, it's something called natural revelation. Say natural revelation. In every culture, God is talking to lost people. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. God talks to lost people through nature and through their narrative of him giving us really an alley-oop of ways that we can enter into that culture as a missionary and be able to share truth with them. So when we look, like, when we look at a hashtag like Black Lives Matter, for me, and I'm going to talk about it next week, the original hashtag had nothing to do with Marxism, that the Black Lives Matter movement it had nothing to do with LGBTQ. It had only to do ultimately with the depths of black people seeming not to matter in the streets and us affirming them matter. I'll talk to you about where the Bible, t- the Bible says that black lives matter. I'm going to show you right where the Bible says black lives matter. And it says it a bunch of times, okay, <clears throat> specifically, okay? Um, and, and not, not only, but I want to take black lives matter and I want to put a biblical narrative into that mug because guess what? A big issue that people are frustrated with is the fact that the church isn't, as a whole, I know that there are those, I'm, my church is doing it. My, it doesn't matter what your church is doing. It, has, it, it's, it does, but it has to be a culture of the church being a particular way that's branded that we're that way in order that people have a shift towards the words that we're saying. Don't want to tell too much of what I'm going to talk about next week. The idea of black power. Why? Black power is in the Bible. Somebody going to look at me like I'm crazy. It's in the power. It's in the Bible. 
No justice, no peace. People ask me, should we be saying that? You'll understand how it's broken down. Uh, fight the power. Should we be saying fight the power? Should we be saying woke church? I don't like that word woke. Should we be calling ourselves conscious Christians? Should we be using the term karma? Should we be using the word? I want to I take those. I, now, 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 for me, the, the, the word karma I don't use. Out of all of those I, I use, I don't use karma because I believe karma is a whole different religious referent that doesn't give us common ground. We have, and so we'll, we'll talk about that as the, series goes, as the series goes along. And as the series goes along, it's very, 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 very important for us to say, how can I go into this context and use information, use language, Use stuff that they already have in their culture. I mean, you got a, a T-shirt series that says God is dope. Is anybody saying we shouldn't be saying that? God being dope? Well, we know that dope is a, a slang term that comes from the word dope, which has to do with a drug, but dope got flipped over and meant something good. So therefore, now we're saying God is dope in order to use common ground to help people know an attribute of God in a practical way. That's all it is. That's all I'm trying to say, family. You take that cultural language and you flip it back on the non-Christian and you help them to say, oh, that's what you're trying to say to me. Like you're going to go on, do, do, who do you trust in for your salvation? They don't know what that means. Do you, do you want to be justified by faith? It's like, justified? What, is, what does that mean? You understand? Sin. Sin is a three-letter word that a lot of people still don't understand. You got to, in, in other words, we have to find ways within culture to convey biblical truth in a way that they understand it, but still doesn't water down what God was saying to us through the Bible. And then on the other hand, family of God, guess what we got to do? We got to let the Holy Spirit do his work and trust him too. All right, this is not just a work of working hard to communicate it in a clear way. It's also trusting that once they understand it in a clear way, that the Holy Spirit makes it present in their heart and it bears fruit. That's the goal. That's very important. And so when we're talking about this, that's, that's what we're wanting to see in people's lives. And I'm going to just tell you one thing. In being a planter and helping plant scores of churches, contextualization is what I teach my planters. Because if they're going to survive as a church to bring a church into existence, they got to know how to go into a culture as a per- even, even people who are from a place don't realize how much they don't know until they have to start planning a church and start learning what it means to communicate to people in their language and they are teaching people from there how to communicate with their own people. <laughs> so when we bring this home to us as the church, I, I want us to begin giving theological credulence to our terminology <laughs> to be uh, truthful and to walk with the Lord in powerful ways. Ah, oh, I had this section to do, but I'm probably going to have to move beyond it. Let me see. Do I have time to do this little part right here? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me name some things to be careful of. They're going to put it up on the screen. Two things you need to be careful of in what I'm talking about, about contextualization. I hope y'all tracking with me still, right? Under contextualization and over contextualization. What does that mean? Under contextualization is context, saying that contextualization ain't necessary. In other words, <clears throat> Western white culture tends to believe it doesn't have culture. I'm going to talk about that. And what, what, what ends up happening is, is, is because they don't believe they have culture sometimes, they believe that they can go into a context and just transport their culture in as if it's neutral. <laughs> but it's not. 
Everyone has a culture, white people, black people, and even within our whiteness and blackness, there's not a, multi, there's not a monolithic culture that all of us have, right, that we can assume. Next, assumes all people are alike. That's something that a contextualization does. All people are basically alike on a level, but when we talk about conveying information, you can't say that. Assume that contextualization changes the gospel. It does not change the gospel. Over-contextualization, acting like, acting as if the gospel isn't enough. That's what some people do. Like, you got to have more, right? Thinks relevance exists to take offense out of the gospel. In other words, don't tell people about sin. Tell them about how wonderful, nah, you can't get saved unless you repent. So the, we're not trying to change the gospel. We're trying to make what the gospel says more clearly. That's what we're trying to do, right? So let's look at verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. It says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. I love this. He says, to win the Jews. To those under the law, Paul says, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. It says, to win those under the law. So Paul basically is starting to give you examples of what it looks like for him to make the gospel clear to people in different cultural groups. The first group is, he said, now, you, 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 you would automatically say, well, you're a Jew, it's going to be easy for you to do that. But he gives you a qualifying statement to let you know that he doesn't operate under every cultural uh, 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 idea of what it means to be a Jew because there's limitations on his assimilation into Jewish culture because the gospel has changed him. This is dope. This is dope. So he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. In other words, I, I let my Jewishness come out. Like when I go, this is like anybody, like when you go home to your hometown, right? And you, don't, and you because you've been away for a while, you may have lost your accent. You know, I know some of the people at Epiphany, y'all, y'all, you know, y'all from, y'all from different places, y'all from the Caribbean. So I, I, I don't hear y'all, you know, y'all will be on a phone call with, a, with somebody, y'all be like, yeah, I just want to let you guys know that we're going to be there at 9 o'clock a.m. And then you'll get with us and then you'll talk a certain way. And then you get around your family member, hey, it's up, I'll be like, what in the world you just say? They start going to some language and, you know, I ain't trying to be funny, but I'm just saying, I, I'm like, where did that come from, mama? I want to tell your mom. I'm like, why are you talking like that, dog? You know, but that's contextual. That's what we're talking about. And so when, when Paul says, when, I'm, when, when I was a Jew, I became... Uh, you know, I became as a Jew. In other words, I let my Jewishness fly, right? I, I let it come out. And, but, but it had a purpose. It had a purpose to win them. <clears throat> he says, to those under the law, like under the law. In other words, I understand what it means to be under the law. Why would he try to act like he's under the law, although he's not under the law? Because he knows that if he doesn't promote and help them to understand his respect for the law, that they would write him off as not being uh, 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 authentically from God. And that's the hard part about trying to reach religious people. <laughs> religious people are hardest to reach because they are, they're judging what your commitment and moral compass is based on what their moral compass is. Now, that's a very difficult thing. That's why in the Bible, the most difficult people to reach were the people that thought they were, didn't need reaching, right? So what you'll see, <clears throat> though, when Paul says, I, I, I'm with, I, I'm, I, he says, he, he basically says, um, though my, he says, uh, uh, like, uh, like, um, uh, like one under the law. He says, so it's letting you know with that simile that he's not under the law, right? But then he says, though I myself am not with, uh, I, I, I am not under the law to win those under the law, right? 
And so, and so when, he, when he says, though I myself am not under the law, he's letting you know that the law is no longer a covenant that rules his life as the tutor to lead him to the gospel because he already got the, he got the fullness of the teacher's class through Jesus that the, the law was a tutor. That's, read Galatians 3, right? But now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about in pertains to contextualization today? <clears throat> when he says to the Jews, I became like the Jews, one of the things that you'll see is in Acts, Paul does it and Peter does it, right? Um, they, when they go to Jews, you will see them start off friends and countrymen, brothers of Israel. And what they'll do is they'll walk through our father Abraham, and they'll walk through redemptive history. What are they doing? Uh, even, even, uh, even Stephen does that in Acts chapter 7. Why does he do that? To let them know that I respect the law. Why? Because I'm basing what I'm saying based off of what the law pointed to, even though I'm not I'm viewing it from a bigger perspective because God has graduated my understanding of the law. We'll see in a second that Paul isn't saying that he doesn't have law, but he says, the reason why I do all of this is because I want to win my people. I want to win people. I want to minister to people, right? Verse 21, he says, to those without law, I like this. He says, without law, a like one without law. In other words, he's not going over there talking about, um, do you know who Moses is? They don't know who Moses is. So when you look at like Acts 17, he doesn't even use the Bible. He, he uses, he said, I see that you all are religious. And what he does is he uses contextual common ground of the, of the space of the unknown God as a way to segue into their culture. In other words, God always used meta-narrative breadcrumbs in every culture for Christians to grab a hold of in order to segue into the gospel. He always uses breadcrumbs. In our culture, music is a big breadcrumb for black folk, right? Art, food, film, appreciation of intellect. You know, we like, we like I mean, there are cultural breadcrumbs that God leaves in culture for us to, to utilize as a mechanism to get to the cross. You, you, you got to understand that that, that, that you as a believer always have to have your gospel eyes on for what are the cultural breadcrumbs that God has left here. So for some of our context, fallenness is a breadcrumb. Lack of economic development is a breadcrumb. Why? Because we can utilize that gap where that need isn't met as a mechanism to meet the need in order to earn the right to share the gospel with people. Churches have to maximize that opportunity. Even in this time with all of the racial injustice going on, God has dropped not a breadcrumb, but a whole bakery on our culture. God has allowed the bakery that's been dropped on our culture, bread everywhere, for us to, people denying racism is this, you're dumb for doing, oh, forgive me, shouldn't do that. Don't edit it out either. God God is basically saying, I have brought the brokenness of this culture to the top, the dross of this culture to the top in order that the church may show that it has the answer. Government doesn't have the answer. Black Lives Matter move organization doesn't have the answer. The Breakfast Club doesn't have the answer. The rappers who are trying to start organizations don't have the answer. No group on the planet have the answers except for the church because we both have the message and the practice. And if we would get on God's same page and admit how broken our culture is and he utilizes breadcrumb as a mechanism to move that direction, we will see people 
reach for the gospel. Why? It's not that the tool of contextualization, listen to me, saves. I want you to understand that. But, in, but, but, but and, and this is what we must understand. I got to move down because I really want us to understand. Well, I'm, I'm going to come. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to do that now. Because <laughs> Paul says in verse 23, he says, I do all things because of the gospel so that I may share in his blessings. So why does he do all things in, uh, because of the gospel? Because he wants to be able to engage the different barriers that there are to the gospel. There are three barriers. I don't have time as much as I want you to go over these. But there are three barriers. Number one barrier is an intellectual barrier. We see that in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, give people a reason. That word reason is talking about how reasonable our faith is. Apologia, a reason for the hope that is within us. People have an intellectual barrier to the gospel. It's not that uh, us answering their questions saves them. It, it, us answering their questions removes the barrier that's in front of their mindset by Satan for them not to understand the gospel. And so our goal with apologetics is not to just be right, it's to remove a barrier. That's what it is. If this is a barrier barrier for you intellectually, that Christianity came out of ancient Kemet, let's go through it and break that thing down and show you how it didn't and show you how Christianity ain't the white man's religion and make that thing clear, break that jaw down. And bow, you can under that, that barrier is out the way. Now, what's your other barrier? What's your other barrier? But it, so that when you're sharing the gospel, they hear it without those things in the way of their ability by the power of the Spirit to understand the gospel. <laughs> Second barrier is an emotional barrier. <laughs> uh, um, um, emotional barrier. So, so intellectual barrier is bad information. People having a barrier based on bad information. This is good, y'all. Y'all just don't know it yet. Um, emotional barrier, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is based on bad experiences with Christians. Remember I was talking about it earlier? See, if somebody see you, see you, see you done had three drinks at the bar, you done had you, you know, you done had you some, you know, had some, some Stella, then you had, then you chased it with some, y'all had some tequila run, come on, you slamming it down and all of that. And you may not even be drunk, but in their mind, because they're around you, there's a perception about righteousness that's connected to whether you drink or not. So what happens is, is they say, guess what they file in their mind? See, Christians are no different than us. Or some people went through church or whatever the emotional barrier is. So in order to give them the gospel, you have to deal with the barrier that's in the way to help correct their lack of the the misinformation about something abnormal that happened or something that not, because some people's emotional barriers isn't even based on a Christian sinning. It's just Satan's use of something in their life to keep them from the gospel. That's, 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 That's all it is, right? And so, but you as a believer have to be patient with people's rejection and get to the core of why they are rejecting the gospel. So, 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 so you got intellectual barrier is based on bad information, 1 Peter 3.15. You got, I mean, that's intellectual barrier. Emotional barrier is barriers, bad experiences. Paul talks about that. You got to read it. I had stuff sacrificed to idols, 1 Corinthians 8, that Christians were partaking in, even though they weren't necessarily sinning. Their sin was the effect it had on non-Christians. All right? Volitional barriers. Volitional barriers. Volitional barriers. Volitional barriers is bad nature. There's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> um, but you can confront it by challenging it. I like the way um, Stephen confronted the bad nature of 
the religious people in Acts 7.51. He said, you stiff-necked jokers, why y'all always resisting the Holy Spirit? Because he shared the gospel, shared the truth with them, and they were resisting the Holy Spirit. And what we have to do is we have to fight those barriers with speaking to those barriers, challenging those barriers, and letting people know that they have sin in their life, and let the Holy Spirit work on them in convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I do have to say this very quickly. As Paul says, I love this. He says to those, back in verse 21, though I'm not under God's law, I'm, I'm not without law, he said, because I become, he said, to those who are without law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. In other words, he's not saying we're without law as Christians. <clears throat> Just for free. <clears throat> there are 1,000 and about 51 laws of Christ. There are 613 laws of Moses. There are more laws of Christ than law of Moses. Look at verse 22, because I got to bring this down, y'all. It says, verse 22, it says, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by every means save, every possible means save some. Whatever I got to do to minister to somebody, I'm going to try to figure that joint out. And one of my contentions in this culture is that Christians, <coughs> and one of my reasons for coming to this text is that we have to, as believers, utilize the cultural breadcrumbs like racial injustice, social justice, all the things going on, the challenge of black life as a way to, this is a perfect opportunity for us. And matter of fact, let me just say this, and I'm done. Jesus, Jesus redeemed culture in his incarnation. In Hebrews chapter, I love this verse. It says in Hebrews chapter two, I'm closing on this. Verse 17 to 18, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, the Bible says that Jesus had to become a Jew. Why? Because the, truth, the gospel was to the Jew first and then to the Greeks. He couldn't have come as a Gentile. They would have eaten, eaten ribs and, and pulled pork. He couldn't have done that. Uh, sleeping around dead bodies, that just wouldn't have been a good look, right? He came as a devout Jew in order to reach the Jews, right? And Jesus Christ, being sensitive to that reality, did that. But let me show you how powerful Jesus is. And I'm a, I'm and God gonna drop the mic on this part. <clears throat> People don't like Black Lives Matter and no justice, no peace, and all that, right? But it's funny. Jesus took a symbol of death, corporal punishment. I mean, a, a capital punishment, a cross. That was the mo the most horrific pictorial of something. And he turned it into a symbol of hope and redemption and restoration and rec reconciliation. He used something <laughs> that culture feared. He used something that culture misunderstood as the very mechanism for our salvation. And he got up from the grave on the third day to show that he conquered even the symbol of our death. So guess what, family? If Jesus can use a cross, what are we, what are we waiting on? 
We say at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. We sing it about the cross. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the days. We use the cross. Family, if there's a redeemable mechanism in our world to use as common ground to make a gospel point to people, use it. And let's see lives changed. God bless you. Love you. Lord, say the same. See you next week. I am so glad to be back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Maybe it's a person there that never met Jesus as a Savior. Help them to meet you. God, thank you. And help us to go into culture and maximize your glory for your will, for your way, and for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Take care. Miss y'all. I can't wait till we get back together physically one day soon. Let's keep that in prayer. Love y'all. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.